Good morning. I'll show you a picture. Do you know who this guy is? This is the Marvel Comics superhero Daredevil, real name Matt Murdock, AKA the man without fear. Matt grew up in relative poverty in Hell's Kitchen, New York, with a father who was a boxer and kind of connected to the criminal underworld there, but who taught him to always do what's right and stand up for the little guy. As a boy, Matt witnessed a man about to be run over by a truck, and so he shoved him out of the way, but the truck crashed and spilled its load of radioactive toxic chemicals into his eyes, which only works in the comics, you know. Maybe you've seen that poster. It says, forget lab safety. I want superpowers. <laughs> um, so he, as a result, when he woke up, he had superhuman senses and agility and reflexes and balance, but he was blind. Though he was able to see using a kind of uh, radar or sonar-like ability, and it gave him ultimate confidence in his surroundings. He had no fear because he can see around the corner. <laughs> he knows what's coming next. He, from 360 degrees. And so he meets a blind martial arts master named Stick, who teaches him to hone his senses even further and taught him martial arts and other skills like parkour, free running, and marksmanship. As an adult, he became a lawyer and opened a law firm while at night wearing the mantle of daredevil. During the day, he fights for justice in the courts, and at night, he achieves justice in the streets. A man without fear... Can you imagine what it would be like to live your life without fear? That's what Jesus tries to instill in his disciples in our text today. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Matthew 10, 26. Thank you so much for being here. Those of you who are here in the room, I'm grateful that you came. Those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for logging in. And whether you're here in the room or watching online, just a little bit of a tease here in a few weeks, we're going to ask you to participate in a survey, both uh, online and here on site. And it's going to, I think, really help us as we continue to try to do uh, hybrid ministry, both um, in the physical space and in the digital space, uh, just to help us gain a greater level of understanding understanding. For the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series through Matthew 10 called Winsome, and we've been looking at how Jesus commissions his disciples and sends them out to share his message using his methods. We want to equip you to do that here at Chapel Rock. We're partly doing that through this sermon series, but we've also got a couple events coming up that we feel like will help you do that. So the first is Welcome to the Rock, all right? That's coming up Sunday, April 11th, so the Sunday after Easter, all right? It's a lunch from 1230 uh, to about 2 o'clock or so. We'll probably get out a little ahead of that. Uh, in the fellowship hall, we'll practice COVID-compliant stuff, so you don't have to worry about your safety there. But if you're new to Chapel Rock, that's a great first step for you to take if you want to find out more about the church and have an opportunity to learn some more and ask questions and things like that. And then immediately in the weeks following that, we have something called Wired. All right, Wired starts April 18th. Uh, it runs during the 11 o'clock hour. So we'd love for you to come to service here in this, um, uh, you know, this service and then go to Wired class and there's juice and donuts and coffee. And we really want to equip you to be the kind of person that Jesus has wired you up to be. Uh, we're not all wired the same. 
And that's a good thing. And so uh, we want to help you do that. And you can sign up for those things. There's information in your bulletin. Uh, those of you watching online, you can check out our website and get signed up for those. Go to chapelrock.org events. That's where you need to go. Over the last couple weeks, we have seen Jesus describe the pushback that the 12 can anticipate on this mission. Even in the midst of that pushback, the 12 have a need to be winsome, right? Because people still need the message of the kingdom. Even if they don't want it, even if they're not excited to get it, they still need it. And so Jesus wants to equip his, the 12 to be winsome even when they, and they get some pushback. And so he lays out a strategy for them. We've been talking about this for the last four or five weeks. Start with what you know. Radiate peace. You need to be wise and have integrity in everything you do. And when, not if, but when this creates conflict, you need to endure. All of that makes the first word of our text so vitally important. Look with me at Matthew 10, 26. So, let's stop right there. So, this word is a conjunctive. Right? It's connecting to what went before, but it's also a marker of somewhat greater emphasis starting in verse 26. There's a bit of a cumulative element to what Jesus is saying here, all right? He's building on everything he said up to this point. So, he said, they're going to they're gonna throw you in prison. They're going to drag you into court. They might even kill you. So, don't be afraid of them. What? What? So, Jesus uses the word fear, the word translated fear. It's the Greek word phobos, which is the root of our word phobia. He uses the word translated fear four times in this passage. Three of them, he means normally the way we use the word fear, right? The the, um, emotional distress caused by the anticipation of pain or evil. Right, it's, I'm afraid. I, you know, um, some <laughs> some of you have had your shot or shots, right? And it's that that little wince before the needle goes in, like it's gonna hurt. You know, ah, okay, and, and then you feel better, right? So, it's it's that sense of fear here, but one time it's different. One time Jesus uses the word in the positive sense to fear God. And in that sense, the word means to reverence or worship or hold in awe God. That's more the Old Testament use of the word. Here's the interesting thing to me. Every single time, I check this out, in the Gospels, every single time Jesus uses the word translated fear, all through the Gospels, he's saying don't do it except this one time. This one place and its parallel in Luke 12, 5, it's the same word. Jesus says, the one thing you should fear is God. What Jesus is saying here is that if you fear, if you worship, if you respect, if you hold God in awe, you won't fear anything else. If you fear God, you won't have to fear anything else. You can be fearless in Jesus, and that makes you winsome. So let's look at how Jesus instructs his disciples to do this. Look with me at Matthew 10, starting in verse 26. So, (laughs) do not be afraid of them. 
For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one. Do you notice that that's capitalized? In your English Bible, when you see a pronoun that's capitalized, it's almost always a reference to the divine. Sometimes we read this and we go, when Jesus says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, we go, uh-oh, he's talking about the devil. No, he's not. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the, the Messiah as judge. He's just, but he's the judge. He, he's saying, fear God. That's the one. When I mentioned before, when he talks about the, the proper use of fear, that's where Jesus is saying it. Be afraid of the one, fear, hold in awe, reverence, or worship, respect. The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Implied answer, yes, they are. Yet not one of them falls to the ground outside your father's care. Maybe a better translation would be outside your father's sight. He sees it. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I'm sure you've noticed how many more superhero movies uh, and shows we've been able to enjoy over the last 12 to 13 years. I feel like my nerd cred is a little bit in danger today because I'm behind on WandaVision and I haven't even started Falcon and Winter Soldier yet. So uh, forgive me, fellow nerds. I'm sorry. Um it's hard to watch them all, you know. We're remarkably fond of these, the, these stories about people who don't seem to have any fear in the face of danger. You know why? Why do we like these stories? I'll tell you. It's because those heroes are so incredibly winsome. These people who are not afraid when bad stuff starts happening... It's attractive. It's winsome. Like, I want to be around that person. I want to be like them. I saw an interview with Chris Evans, who plays Captain America in the Marvel movies. And he was talking about how playing this character has changed him. Yeah, I remember him saying, he goes, he, referencing Captain America, makes me want to be a better man. It's winsome. These people who are not afraid in the face of danger, who are fearless, it's incredibly winsome. It's attractive. I want to be like that. I think Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that they need to be like that. He says not being afraid will make them winsome. Here's what I want you to get out of this message today, all right? It's our big idea. If you speak for Jesus without fear, one day he will speak for you. That knowledge, that little bit of information basically gives you a set of superpowers. I think this passage reveals three superpowers we have on our way to being winsome. Here's the first one. First power we have is that we can disclose the heart of God. We can disclose the heart of God. Jesus instructs the 12 that the teaching that they have received from him in private, these deeper teachings of the kingdom that they're supposed to relay in public. He says, you can get up on the roof. Now, roofs in the first century were flat that kind of enabled you. It's kind of an outdoor living room, you know, and enabled them to kind of get up above the hubbub of the street and make an announcement that everybody could hear. 
In fact, in just a few pages from, from where you are right now in your Bibles or a few swipes of your screen for your digital Bible, your Bible app, you, you can read in Matthew 13 where this, this literally happens. Jesus in Matthew 13, you should probably know this, that's the sermon in parables. The whole sermon is just parables, it's just stories. So if you ever get annoyed with me because I tell so many stories, Jesus did it, just deal with it. Um, <laughs> I don't care what you think. Um, it, Matthew 13 is the sermon in parables. And so Jesus is telling all these stories and then they go into the house and the disciples say, explain the parable to us. And in private, he, he, he lines out what everything represents. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, what I've told you in secret, you're supposed to broadcast. <laughs> you're supposed to disclose the heart and mind of God to the world. All right. That's what Jesus came to do, right? Jesus came to reveal God to the world. Colossians 1.15 says that the son is the very image, the very representation of the father. If you want to know what God is like, study Jesus. He will tell you that's what God is like. Jesus reveals or discloses who God really is. And he has entrusted that mission to us, his disciples. And I think Peter really took this command to heart. <laughs> Look at what he writes much later in his first letter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. One of the greatest powers we have in learning to get over our fears is the knowledge that the God of the universe has revealed himself to us in Jesus and has invited us to join his team of super friends, Gen Xers, that's for you, to share that knowledge. Courtney Ellis of Princeton, New Jersey, wrote an article in Christianity Today. She writes, when I attended graduate school for English and because she's from Princeton, New Jersey, I assume she went to graduate school at Princeton. So to study English at Princeton, kind of a big deal, right? She said, there were many occasions where my fellow students openly ridiculed the name of Christ. To my great detriment, I stayed silent. I was quite vocal about my belief in Christ at church and with my friends, but I was terrified of what might happen to my reputation if the people at my school found out I believed in Jesus. Most of them were just as ignorant, most of them were just ignorant about who Jesus is. Several of them had never even met a Christian before and assumed that all Christians were the uneducated, judgmental stereotypes that we sometimes see in the media. Yet I was still afraid. As the program went on, I began to feel guiltier for these silences. If I couldn't be obedient to Christ in such a central thing, how would I be able to serve him in other ways? God was faithful in my rocky road to obedience. Opportunities to speak up for Christ continued to come my way. One day a fellow student asked me flat out right before class when many other people were around if I was a Christian. I had a clear decision to make. I took a deep breath and with God's help, I said a soft, shaky, yes. The student looked at me for a second skeptically. Interesting, she said. I always thought that Christians were like circus freaks but you're actually kind of smart. 
<laughs> it was a small step, but even the smallest step made in obedience is progress. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all might want to write that down. Even the smallest step made in obedience is progress. God tells us not to fear for our reputations because the truth will always win out. Church, we can disclose the heart of God. You have a superpower in being winsome. You have access to knowledge that nobody else has. And he has commissioned you to share it with the world that desperately needs to know. You have an Easter invite in your bulletin today, those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are watching online, uh, I believe you can go to our website and you can download a digital version of this. Whoa, there it goes. Um, you know, for, for uh, to be able to share, uh, you know, in an email or in social media or, or however you want to engage uh, that way. What are you, you going to do with this? God has given you the power to disclose his heart to the world. It's like a superpower. Use it. <laughs> Share that with somebody. That's the first power we get in Jesus making us able to deal with fear. Here's the second one, that we can escape the dread of death. We can escape the dread of death. And the way that this happens is that we know that we are constantly being watched over by God. There's never, a mo I want you to hear me, church, this is so important, in a world where we're, so many threats abound every which direction you look. This is so vitally important that you understand this. There is never a moment of the day that you are not the focus of God's undivided attention. Every moment that passes, you have, because our God is so amazing, because he's so mighty, he can give you his undivided attention every moment of your life. That blows my mind. And because of that, we can escape the dread of death. Jesus tells the 12, your father sees every tiny bird that falls to the ground. Every hair on your head has a serial number. You are seen, you are valued, you are loved, and because of that, you don't need to fear death. Your God is watching over you. As I've taught you before, every human being has intrinsic value because they are made in the image of God. You have value no matter what your income is, no matter what your accomplishments are, you have value because you're made in the image of God. Every human being from, from the, the, the fetus in the womb to the old person in the old folks home has value and dignity because they're made in the image of God. They have intrinsic value. That idea is reinforced in this text. And when you see the worth of every human being through God's eyes, I believe it ought to motivate you to be more evangelistic. It'll dial back the heat of your rhetoric in public conversation too. <laughs> when you remember Jesus died for that person, that person's made in the image of God. I might disagree with everything coming out of their mouth, but Jesus died for them and they're made in his image. 
And that helps you escape the dread of death. We don't have the threat of death hanging over us, but there are some who do. (laughs) And your Savior has called you to do something about that. This week on Facebook, I took a very unscientific poll. I said, what's the first thing you would do if you could stop being afraid of it? (laughs) And I learned two things. First of all, some of y'all need to learn how to swim. Right? There's <laughs> a lot of people out there afraid of water. It's a survival skill. You all learn how to do it. Um, secondly, I learned that when a question captures people's attention, when it really connects, folks can be remarkably transparent and honest and vulnerable about their fears. And most of those fears had something to do with death. They don't want to drown. They don't want to fall off something really tall. They don't want to be stuck in a tight space and unable to breathe. Listen, we can escape the dread of death because we know that Jesus sees us. Jesus cares for us every moment of every day. There's not one nanosecond where you do not have God's undivided attention. And because of that, death no longer has any power over you. He sees you. He cares for you. See, Getting over the dread of death makes you incredibly winsome. I want you to think about a time in your life when when you were in a crisis moment and everyone was afraid except for one person. For whatever reason, that one person was calm, cool, and collected. What happens in that moment? Everybody's like, I'm going with that guy. I'm going with her. When you don't fear death, it makes you incredibly winsome. It gives you an opportunity to disclose the heart of God at a time you might not otherwise ever have a chance. It's like you have superpowers. There's one more. We can affirm our loyalty no matter what. Jesus is totally unambiguous in verse 32 and 33. He says, if you acknowledge me before others, when it matters most, I will acknowledge you before God. If not, I won't either. In other words, you get to decide where your loyalties lie and you get to decide what happens because of that. It's entirely up to you. In first century Jewish descriptions of the day of judgment, the testimony of a righteous person for or against others bore a lot of weight with God. And Jesus' disciples would have had that kind of in the back of their head. What we see here is that Jesus' advocacy before the Father weighs more heavily than anything else. This ultimately is is pushback against the, the Islamic idea of what the Day of Judgment will be like. In Islam, they put your good deeds and your bad deeds on a scale, and if the good deeds outweigh the bad, you know, you're you're in good shape. Otherwise, not so much. It's not the way it works with God. This is, the way, this is the way grace works. <laughs> when you stand before God, yes, your good deeds and bad deeds will be judged. And God will look at his son. You know him. You know her. Yeah. He's mine. She belongs to me. In you go. Sheep, the right. <laughs> I get right. Goats. It's, it, really, it really comes down to who knows Jesus. At that last judgment, at the final day, it's who knows Jesus and who doesn't. <laughs> and so we need to affirm our loyalty to him no matter what's happening. 
And when you do that, when, when you display that kind of loyalty to Jesus, it's like having a superpower. It makes you so incredibly winsome to the world that no matter what kind of pressure is on you to go, yup, Jesus, me, we belong together. In fact, the words acknowledge and deny are crucial here, especially when they're used together. Since denial in the Gospels is always identical with apostasy from Jesus, the end times importance of someone's confession here, confessing Christ as Lord, is strongly emphasized. Now, I want you to know, by the way, the word translated deny here is the exact same one used for what Peter did. So if you've ever done that, if you're sitting here listening to me in the room, if you're watching online, maybe you're watching later on YouTube or something, if you've ever done that, if you've ever had a moment where you're like, I am totally flying under the radar, I do not want to be outed as a Christian right now, I want to say there's hope for you. Because that's the exact same word that's described what Peter did. He did it three times. He did it three times when he literally was line of sight to Jesus. Like he could see him in the courtyard. In fact, if I remember correctly, John tells us that when Peter denied him for the third time, Jesus looked right at him. You ever been caught by a teacher when you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing? Multiply that times a billion, now you know how Peter feels. What this means is that the believer is so in, completely included in fellowship with Jesus that his confession before people, either in a human court of law, during some time of persecution, or maybe just a random conversation, that confession is regarded as if it had been made before the throne of God himself. And your ability to affirm your loyalty to Jesus above all else, no matter what, is basically a superpower. <laughs> It makes you winsome. It's, it's how we deal with fear in those situations just to say, you know what, my loyalties lie with Jesus. And no matter what happens, my, I, I, I'm all in on Jesus. I was so moved by the story Jason told last week about the guy in prison. He was, he was angry with God, but what came out was, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That's what this is about. It's about that kind of loyalty. Let me tell you about loyalty. Troy, Ohio, 1974. 8.01 a.m. on June 26th, uh, shopper Clyde Dawson grabbed a 10-pack, that's 50 sticks, of Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum from his shopping cart at the Marsh Supermarket, and cashier Sharon Buchanan made the very first UPC scan. There's a picture of it. It must have been later in the day, because that person on the left is probably not named Clyde. Um... <laughs> I just, I saw it real small on the screen at the back. I didn't see it up close. Um, cash register rang up 67 cents. That's $3.10 in today's money. That better be some good gum. Retail history was made. In fact, that very pack of gum itself is now displayed at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History. The entire checkout counter that you can see in the picture there, made by NCR, National Cash Register, cost $10,000 then. That's $46,400 today. The scanner itself, the little electronic thing that scans the UPC code, cost four grand then, 18560 bucks today. And here's the weird thing. My dear wife, Debbie, has a connection to this. Her uncle, Andy, worked for NCR in California in the 70s late 60s and early 70s. He was part of the team of people that helped develop this technology. 
Every time you're at the store and you hear boop, that's Uncle Andy. <laughs> now, there were a lot of other people and it wasn't his idea. He was just simply part of the team of people that helped develop this machine. But when he and his team of people developed that for NCR, they could have done what Bill Gates did with Windows. And just kind of taking it over here, and I'm going to start my own company with this. If you're not interested, I'll just go do this. But NCR paid him to develop this. He and his team did their work well. They developed a great product that has now become used all over the world. Practically everything you buy runs through one of these now. I don't know if he got a bonus or, or, or what, but he was, he was a loyal company guy. He did his work well, and now NCR sells these things. I want to tell you this morning that being loyal to Jesus, being more loyal to Jesus than you are to any other polity of this world, a political polity, a sports polity, <laughs> An, an entertainment polity, being more loyal to Jesus than you are to anything else in this world will make you so very winsome. And ultimately what makes us winsome is the promise that we have from Jesus that he will speak for us. He will claim you as his own before almighty God. If you're loyal to him in this life, he will not fail to be loyal to you in the next one. Your single-minded loyalty to the one above all allows you to rise above the frothing at the mouth fray of this world and culture and draw others into discipleship to Jesus. That's why this matters. In fact, recent research confirms that the number one reason people don't share their faith is that they're afraid it will create tension or conflict in the relationship. I've been quoting some Barner research to you through this series. Here was one of the graphics that they said. 20, why don't you have spiritual conversations more often? 28% of people said religious conversations always seem to create tension or arguments. 29% of people, this is the number one reason Christians don't want to talk about their faith. Almost, I mean, between a quarter and a third of people are saying, I'm scared. I don't want to do this because I'm scared. And what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus allows you to be fearless. To be fearless in Jesus' speech. You know, you know what this is? You know what this is, church? This is believing a lie from the enemy. This is believing a lie from the pits of hell. What Jesus teaches us is that those who fear only God are the most winsome. It's like they have superpowers. They have insight into the eternal. They're not afraid of death and they're loyal to their savior no matter what. Is that you today? I hope so. I hope you have claimed the promise that if you speak for Jesus without fear, that one day he'll speak for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're afraid of something. You want someone to pray with you and for you. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together. And I want you to know that you're invited to come forward and ask one of our pastors or just somebody in the body to, to pray with you and pray for you. If there's a fear you have, don't just deal with it alone. Come into partnership with, with a brother or sister who can, who can be there with you and, and for you. Maybe, maybe you've not yet taken the step to declare your loyalty to Jesus and confess him as Savior and Lord and be baptized in his name to kill off the old you and, and be raised up as a new one. You have an opportunity to do that now. I can't think of a better day to affirm your loyalty to Jesus than today. Maybe you've been afraid, you've been putting off a difficult conversation with a friend and, and, and you want to ask someone to hold you accountable for that. You know, but John mentioned these earlier Maybe some of you this, this for 2021 would choose the word fearless. That's our word on social media this week. Maybe you want to ask someone to say, you know what? I, I, I need to be unafraid in my witness. Would you, would you hold me accountable? You can do that now. I'm not sure how God's working in your heart, but I've been praying all week that he would. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing together and you respond as God leads you today as we sing.